3: Number two, Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you live from the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And we want to talk the College Baseball World Series down to the final two teams. And it's an all SEC final with Vanderbilt taking on Mississippi State in a best of three series down in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, game one was on Monday. Vanderbilt, they gave up a home run in the top of the first inning. And that was about the last we ever heard again from Mississippi State down. Down one zip. Vandy rallied for seven runs in the bottom half of the inning. That was greatly aided by walks and hit batsmen, but uh, that was about the end of the game. Eight to two, your final in favor of the Commodores. They take a one to nothing series lead and they can win it all, Wes, with a win in game two this
4: afternoon. Yeah, and right now you're seeing the over get a little bit of money. It was 9, 115 here at BetMGM, but I'm seeing some 120, 125 juice to the over here in the market. And I can kind of of understand why a little bit, because if you look at Vanderbilt, it is going to be Kumar Rocker that is going to go kind of the co-ace along with uh, Jack Leiter, who of course went last night and was very good in, in a win for Vanderbilt, but Kumar Rocker, his last start against NC State on Friday in the semifinals, had 11 strikeouts, went six strong innings, but He's also pitched 328 pitches in his last three starts. Wow. So that's a lot. And you don't know how long Rocker is going to be able to go. You got to make him kind of throw that off speed stuff and see if you can draw some walks against him because uh, uh, he was dominant in the game against Mississippi State that they played in April. So at least Mississippi State has seen him. Unfortunately, they saw a lot of their hitters go back to the bench, shaking their heads, striking out against him back in April. But on the Mississippi State side, it is going to be Hudson and Harding more than likely. I don't think that they can really bring in Will Bednar, who is the ace of the staff on just a couple days rest. Now, obviously, when you're down one nothing, and it's an elimination game, it's tough to save him. But if you can save him another day and win tonight and go game three, that obviously, I think, puts you in a little bit of the catbird seat. So the way I'm looking to attack this, once I see a series price come out, I'm going to just go ahead. Mississippi State's already seen the action today, by the way. I think it's been about a 15 or 20 cent move in the Bulldogs favor is kind of the bounce back. Now they're as low as plus 105 at BetMGM. I think this morning they were in like the 130 range on the plus side. So Mississippi State's getting back here. But what I would rather do is if I can find a series price, them being down one, nothing, just go ahead and take the series price. Because if they do get to game three, Vanderbilt now has burned their two aces. Mm-hmm. And now Mississippi State's going to have their ace and will bet now the X factor in this game is going to be Landon Sims who I've talked about a couple times here on various programs on Vison. he didn't best, go on Monday right yeah yeah best closer in all of college baseball so now what's going to happen though depending on how long Harding can last you may have Landon Sims have to go tonight for yeah. an extended amount where it's not like he's going one or two innings where he may be going four or four plus innings and throwing 80 90 pitches and then obviously that will burn him out for the next night even though they'll still have to use him in a pinch, but they'll have to be very judicious. Chris Lamonis, the manager down at Mississippi State in terms of using him if this goes a game three, but I don't disagree with the move on Mississippi State. I think the value probably has been extracted out of it. So I think if you're going to play the Bulldogs, I'd rather just play him on the series price.
3: How do you explain the difference in the lines from game one to game two West? I believe Vanderbilt was as high as like minus minus one ninety for mm-hmm. game one. I think maybe it closed closer to minus 170 or so. Uh, but now you're all the way down to like minus 130, minus 125. Is that just because of the facing elimination factor? I or is is there that much of a difference between rocker and uh, lighter on the mound? That's
4: part of it. And I think probably the game one price was inflated, even though, uh, Vanderbilt did get the win, but still the result doesn't necessarily indicate what the line should have been. It was inflated a little bit just because Vanderbilt, remember, had that extra day yeah. of rest on Saturday. They did not have to go against NC State. It was forced out of the College World Series. A, a, a awful situation for those players and that team. They were hot due to, too. D- due to COVID-19 and they had only lost on Friday. So they technically weren't a part of the double elimination because you got to lose twice here in the College World Series and that was actually their first loss and then of course they had to give up the game and bow out of the tournament on Saturday so that allowed Leiter another day of rest and you saw that it absolutely benefited Vanderbilt last night.
3: Yeah and I thought maybe it was a reason to go against them. Obviously a day of rest is typically a good thing but the way they kind of fell into the final I thought maybe that was giving Mississippi State a little bit of an edge that was not the case. Game 2 will go this afternoon. This is the Lombard Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you on a Tuesday right here from the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, talking a little College World Series. And now I want to get to some NFL, Mr. Reynolds. We're going to kick off this hour with some NFL wagering questions. And this is a fun little market to look at. Too high or too low? And that is the total number of passing yards for a selection of quarterbacks in the league. And we'll start with the second-year starters, the sophomore— the sophomores in the NFL behind center. And we'll go to Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jalen Hurts. And then, of course, there is a a number associated with this with each player as far as what their total passing yards are going to be for the season. And you can go under or over that, too high or too low. Justin Herbert with a big number for the Los Angeles Chargers, the signal, signal caller there at 4,650 and a half passing yards. Do you have an opinion? Opinion on any of these guys, Wes, in the second-year starter market?
4: Oh, gosh. When I'm looking at this and I looked at that 46.50 as you were leading into the segment here – I kind of thought you were saying too high or too low. It's like, do I have to pick one or the other? Can I split the baby here and say just right? Because I think that that's probably the right price. If you look at Herbert last year, started 15 games, 4,336 yards. Now, one of the things that the Chargers did in the offseason is they improved that offensive line. Mm -hmm. And they've invested heavily in that offensive line. Obviously, that's going to be better for Justin Herbert. Now, they do have a new head coach, and they do have a new offensive coordinator. So, I would like to think in this prop here at DraftKings, that that is priced in to the market already. Obviously, there's a lot of people that like the Chargers this year. Nobody's not picking the Chiefs to win the AFC West, but they obviously think the Chargers are the, are the comer here are in this division. So. It's, it's been, I think, priced in. They got rave reviews for the draft. I think pretty yeah. much every single like draft analyst or draft Nick out there was like, Chargers A for their draft. I mean, when they give these grades, which is always fun content, but always kind of absurd because the real grades are about four or five years from now. Then we'll see if it's an A. Or then we'll see if it's a C if you didn't like their draft. And maybe it's better than you thought, at least on first glance. But... I think forty six fifty probably is about right here on Justin Herbert because you got to account for the fact that the offensive line is better, but you also got to account for the fact that, hey, there's maybe some new things that he's got to learn in his first full year. He did start 15 games, but he wasn't the starter from the jump. But I guess you could say second-year starter considering he was there most of the season.
3: Well, my first reaction to Justin Herbert is maybe it's a little bit inflated because, like you say, there's a lot of love for the Chargers out there, but that that's not really the one I landed on. The one I found, I found maybe a little bit more attractive as far as getting involved financially would be Jalen Hurts at 3,800 yards, 3,800 and a half. You want under or over that. I would tend to go under that, Wes, because first of all, he's a little bit more of a running quarterback, certainly more so than Justin Herbert. You wonder if he's going to last all 17 games, if he's going to be healthy for the entire season. The way Jalen Hurts plays, I could see him possibly missing a start or two, who mm-hmm. knows, and, you know, I don't see him as a deep ball thrower either. So he, he would be a guy I looked at to go under his total there.
4: If I were going to play one of these, I would actually. And look, you're obviously having a risk of an injury anytime you do one of these props. But the guy I kind of looked at for the over was Joe Burrow mm-hmm. of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now this team is going to finish dead last in the AFC North. They're not <laughs> better than Pittsburgh. They're not better than Baltimore. And they're not better than Cleveland. So what does that mean? They're going to be behind them. a there lot you go. of games. So he's going to be throwing. And look, 10 starts, 2,688 yards. That's about 269 a game. So the average would need to go up a little bit. Obviously, the offensive line got him hurt where he only made 10 starts. But I do think Cincinnati did draft. Look, they drafted Jamar Chase in the first round, who was, I think, consensus people thought was the best receiver in the draft, at least from a pure wide receiver standpoint. So they drafted him. They've got a decent little core of running backs, I think, with Williams with Joe Mixon, with P. Ryan, So they've got some guys out of the back. They also brought in a little bit of help on the offensive line. We'll see if it can stay together. I think it could probably use a little bit more. This is not going to be the best defense, so they're going to be on the field a lot, you would think. So he's going to be behind, and if they can just keep him upright, which obviously is the largest part of this equation, I think he's going to go over forty-two fifty.
3: right, the next market, same face, new place. These are quarterbacks that have switched teams. Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Carson Wentz. And I'll start with Wentz. Of course, you being a Colts fan, I know you're very familiar with the situation there. And I I think Carson Wentz can go nowhere but up. Mm -hmm. His number, the same as Jalen Hurts, 3,800 and a half. And I I think the Frank Reich led Indianapolis Colts will institute more of an open air passing game for Carson Wentz. It looked a little bit Deacon dunk when he was with yes. Philadelphia. Uh, I think they'll air it out a little bit more in Indianapolis. I expect him to have success. I think that offense will be more efficient in Indianapolis. I, I think it's going to be a good remarriage, if you will, mm-hmm. between Wentz and Frank Reich. And, and I think uh, if I was going to look at that bet, I'd go over the total on Carson Wentz.
4: Yeah, I would too. And, and look, new offensive coordinator in Indianapolis of Marcus Brady promoted from quarterbacks coach. Now that Nick Sirianni is actually in Philadelphia is their head coach. So Marcus Brady, Scott Milanovich, Frank Reich, that brain trust there. I really trust to kind of get this guy right. It's like, can you save this guy after all the injuries he's had? And I think a lot of it was mental too. It wasn't just the physical for the injury. Carson Wentz was behind a bad offensive line in Philadelphia that I don't know if they ever started the same five guys more yeah. than two games last year in Indianapolis. That's one of the strings. you got Quentin Nelson up there. You've got Ryan Kelly up there. That is two first-round picks that you have. Now, they do have to replace Anthony Costanzo. They're going to try to do that with Eric Fisher. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be ready for the season opener for Indianapolis, but Eric Fisher, a former first-round pick, and obviously was a pro bowler in Kansas City, so you can get him right. That means you got three pro bowlers on that offensive line, plus a couple of very good guys on the right, including Braden Smith, who was a second-round pick a few years ago out of Auburn. So, the offense to blind is very much a strength, I think for the Indianapolis Colts. So Carson Wentz is going to like to see that. He's got a very deep backfield so he can throw out of the backfield to guys like Naeem Himes and Marlon Mack. Jonathan Taylor seems like he has emerged now a second year guy out of Wisconsin as kind of the workhorse back, but that doesn't mean Hines and Mack and Wilkins and these guys aren't going to get touches in terms of a receiving core. Michael Pittman Jr. I thought had a very good rookie season just has to stay healthy. Same with Ferris Campbell who has missed the better part of two years. Who's speedster they drafted out of Ohio state. They like to use a lot of double tight ends with Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox, uh, the former basketball player went to the final four of VCU. If you remember several years ago, Brady, so they've got a deep core. I think they have weapons on offense and they've got a very good offensive line. If his, ma- if his mind is right, he's going to shatter 3,800 yards.
3: The other players in this market I don't have a great feel for. Jared Goff, of course, with the Detroit Lions. How's that going to work out? Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Washington football team. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to go under or over those two totals. Matthew Stafford at the top of the board there at 4,700 yards. 4,700 and a half They've yards. They priced
4: that in, certainly, with all the Didn't weapons. Yes.
3: Yeah, so I, I would I would be leaning towards under there because I I think just... You know, we talked about it a little bit with Justin Herbert and all the offseason love for the Chargers. I think there's off-season love for the Rams as well, and I think that number's probably a little bit inflated. So I'd want to go under there and just look at the division he plays in. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty good defenses he's going to be facing in the 49ers, the Seahawks,
4: and the Arizona Cardinals. And I will admit I am very high on the Los Angeles Rams. I thought, look, uh, uh, Les Snead and Sean McVay, they're going for it right now. They're not thinking about three or five years from now. They are saying this is our window to go ahead and win a Super Bowl. We have all these high-ticket guys on our roster, including uh, uh, the receivers with uh, Cup and Woods, and we, of course, have on the offensive line with Whitworth. And then you look at defense when you have Aaron Donald, you have Jalen Ramsey. You're still paying Jared Goff even some money. So you've got, I think, I thought it was, I don't know the exact amount. I think it was like $120 million basically committed to six guys mm-hmm. on yeah. this roster, So they're, and including Stafford. So they're going to go for it here but look it's priced in that finally Matthew Stafford after all these years because I think we've all seen his ability oh, we've yeah. all seen the numbers that he. he's can great throw. to watch man. and I've seen him in person when he came into Colts training camp they were playing a game so they scrimmaged for about a couple days and I saw the way he spin that ball up close I was like oh my god how does this guy not be the pro bowler one of the best quarterbacks in the league every single year how Hard he threw the ball and how many tight windows he squeezed those balls into. But, you know, Matthew Stafford is now, I think, probably got some energies in a place where he can win in Los Angeles. At least it's certainly designed to win good running backs. I think good young running backs with Cam Akers, with Daryl Henderson. Mm-hmm. So he's going to probably use that running game too. So I don't think this is just going to be what Matthew Stafford had to necessarily do in Detroit to your point of this being inflated. In Detroit, he was behind a lot. So Matthew Stafford had to throw a ton where he had to throw 50-plus passes a game. But with the Rams, and I think with such a good defense, especially with Donald Ramsey on that side, you don't have to throw all the time. So there's going to be times where Matthew Stafford's probably going to have games where he's like – 21 of 28 for 215 or 220 yards. Yeah. So when you have too many of those games, that makes it very difficult to get above 4700.
3: Yep. Absolutely. All right. The next market we'll look at is future Hall of Famers, and just a uh, three-player market here with Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, Tom Brady of the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Russell Wilson. Now I, I think Wes Patrick Mahomes, we know he's going to throw the ball all over the yard. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady. You don't think of him as a guy throwing the ball all over the yard, but his head coach, Bruce Arians, does like to throw the deep ball. Russell Wilson, it's kind of a little bit of both. Pete Carroll likes to commit to that run game, and then late in the game he lets Wilson go loose, Mm -hmm. and he, and Mm -hmm. he brings his team back from behind throwing bombs in the
4: fourth quarter. So I'm not really sure which way to go on any of these guys. Yeah, when I was looking at this, because we know what Russell Wilson has kind of been wanting up there in Seattle, it's like, Okay, guys, uh, can we help me out a little bit on the offensive line? And you want to say that he's running less, but last year he ran for 513 yards. That was his most since 2017. Mm. So I don't know if Seattle really has upgraded the offensive line that much. Uh, You want to say that he, I I was kind of going to be saying, oh, he's throwing more. He's actually been running more if you base it on last season. So I don't know if Seattle did enough on the offensive line to make me think that all of a sudden he's not going to have. He had 83 carries, I believe, last year for like 500 yards and change. I don't know if I've seen enough on this offensive line to where it's like, okay, Russell Wilson's only going to have like 60 carries. He's going to run it a lot less like he did a few years ago. He's got, I think, a solid receiving core. He's got a lot of speedsters. He's got Metcalf. He's got Tyler Lockett. So those are two like track speed guys. Yeah. They remind me of like the old Raider receivers in the 80s where Al Davis loved to get those speedsters and track guys. Always drafted the fastest guys. guy, and they're like, still doing it. Henry vo- Ruggs. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> philosophy hasn't changed. The, the vertical passing game. As Al Davis would say, but but these are good receivers, especially Metcalf. Also, Lockett, who's a on special teams, but the line just hasn't improved enough for me for Seattle. So that's what kind of makes me think that I don't have a very good read on this team going into the season.
3: All right, a couple more markets to look at, and I want to go to the veterans. I think this is maybe one that I had a better feel for than the others. The veterans listed Matt Ryan of the Atlanta Falcons, Kirk Cousins with Minnesota, and Ryan Tannehill of the Tennessee Titans. Matt Ryan, the number is 4,500, 4,500 and a half. I would want to go over on him, Wes, because it just seems like Atlanta finds the way to have offense every Mm -hmm. year. And Matt Ryan is always a guy that's chucking up a lot of yards in passing, throwing a lot of touchdowns. Whether or not they're successful, we don't know. Can that defense hold up? Will that be an improvement on that team this year? We're not sure. But it just feels like Atlanta's always going to have offense. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I'm not so sure there. But Ryan Tannehill, I would be looking over there as well. And this is kind of like the point that you bring up about Joe Burrow. Uh, the Tennessee Titans defense last year was pretty awful, and, and they were in a lot of shootouts. And Tannehill was having to throw the ball. Uh, they were a successful team. They, they were a good team, and I think they'll be good again. But how much has that defense improved in the offseason? Are they going to be in some high-scoring games? I think Tannehill's going to have to sling the ball around the yard, maybe uh, when he's trailing or what have you. But uh, I, I would probably lean towards the over on Ryan Tannehill.
4: I'll go back to Matt Ryan here because he does have a new coach, and that being Arthur Smith, who is Mm the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, Dave Ragone, the new offensive coordinator. Now his last stop, he was a passing game coordinator in Chicago, so when you hear that, it's like, well, that doesn't impress me much, (laughs) considering what they produce, but Dave Ragone, it's not like he exactly had Peyton Manning or Tom Brady to work with there in Chicago at the quarterback position. I think people are going to want to look to go under here because they overvalued the receiver. They're like, well, Julio's gone. Julio Jones is in Tennessee now, so, oh my God, Atlanta's not going to be able to throw the football, where well, they still got Calvin Ridley and they've still, they drafted Cal Pitts. They still have Hayden Hurst. They still have Cordero Patterson as a speedster. They still have a decent amount of receivers and they have guys out of the backfield and catch the ball with the kid they drafted out of Louisville, Javion Hawkins, Mike Davis, Todd Gurley now gone. So I don't think Atlanta is going to have problems scoring points. So on terms of the over, I would be looking over on Matt Ryan of those three veterans.
3: All right. And the final market is- here we want to take a look at before we go to break is the rookies Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson what will Trevor Lawrence do for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Wilson for the New York Jets Trevor Lawrence his number at 4,150 and a half yards Zach Wilson at 3,850 and a half yards and I tell you, Wes, this is another one where I'm kind of stumped. You know, what is Urban Meyer going to do with Trevor Lawrence? Is he going to let him sling it? Is he going to lean more on the running game? If you look at what he does at Ohio State, he does a little bit of both. But I kind of lean towards the under. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, obviously the number one draft pick and and the Hall of Fame status that they've already given to Trevor Lawrence, maybe that's inflating this number a little bit. I'd probably lean towards the under on him and – and Zach Wilson, I'm just not sure. The jury's
4: out for both of these on me. Yeah, on Lawrence, too, you gotta think Jacksonville's gonna run the ball because they did draft his teammate Travis Etienne in the go. first round. It's like, what are you doing? James Robinson was really one of the bright spots for you guys. So they're gonna run the ball, I think, with that platoon. On the New York side, I would lean to the under and this is that kind of college football better and fan in me. I saw Zach Wilson struggle to score against University of Texas San Antonio. So now the AFC East is better than University of Texas San Antonio. So, would lean to the under there, but I don't have a good read either way.
3: All right, next up, we're going to talk postseason awards in Major League Baseball Cy Young and MVP for both the American League and the National League when we return, right here on the Lombardi line.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW through. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Welcome back to the Lombardi Line. Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you trying to talk a little baseball. And believe it or not, Wes, we are just about at the halfway point of the baseball season. All the teams have played about 78, 79 games of the scheduled 162. So we want to take a look at where the awards markets are right now for the postseason awards, the major postseason awards in Major League Baseball. And we'll start with the National League MVP. And guess who the favorite is? That guy that's also the favorite for the Cy Young Award, which is pretty interesting, Jacob deGrom, a massive favorite for the National League Cy Young Award winner at minus 450 here at BetMGM, but also the favorite to win the MVP mm-hmm. at plus 125. I found that a little bit interesting. Fernando Tatis Jr. at plus 150. Ronald Acuna Jr. at plus 375. And then some longer shots there. Your guy, Nick Castellanos at 30-1, to had a grand slam on Monday night. I don't know. I I don't know if I could bet deGrom for the MVP. And and I don't know if I could lay minus four fifty on the
4: Cy Young, but what do you think? If he stays healthy, he is going to win the Cy Young. But that's always the risk with any real Mets pitcher. If you sure. followed their history over the last oh decade, fifteen years plus, they always get a starter hurt, whether it's Cindergard or who ha- or or what have you. They always seem to get somebody hurt in that staff. Uh, but look, it does have to be extraordinary for a pitcher to win the MVP. But look. I think Jacob DeGrom has put up some pretty damn historic oh, numbers yeah, absolutely. if you look at it. So I think he is the justifiable favorite here. Now, I expect Tatis, uh, because Tatis is such an exciting player, that's why I think you've seen that number drop a little bit and why it's so almost evenly straddled with Jacob DeGrom, but... If he stays healthy because he's doing stuff I think that has not been done in modern day history of the game then you would think that Jacob DeGrom has to win it but what I bet him absolutely not number one the price is too short the is already extracted but also what I mentioned with the injury factor because we know that he's had a couple shortened starts this season mm-hmm. he already had to do a rehab start down in Port St. Lucie in their spring training uh, ground and really their I think it was I think it's their single A or double A affiliate I'm not sure but he had to do a, a game down there so that's always the concern with DeGrom. Acuna was one of the favorites early in the season. I know Matt Humans is very high on Acuna. That's now at 375 and then you look at the guys down the board. You want to make a case for one of these guys but I just don't think that one of these longer shots are going to get there. I think Kyle Schwarber, if he continues this home run run, though, is going to at least get some tickets at 50 to one. He's now, I believe, uh, I believe 15 home runs in 17 games. That's the quickest anybody has ever gotten to 15 home runs in that short of a game span ever in the history of Major League Baseball.
3: You never know what Mookie Betts is going to do. And you talked about it earlier in the program. You just expect that the Dodgers are going to be the Dodgers again here pretty soon and go on a run. And Betts is arguably the best player in baseball. What will he do? Sixty to one is an awful juicy number, but I agree with you and Humans on Ronald Acuna Jr. at plus three seventy five for the Braves. Tatis Jr. for me, Wes. He's probably my favorite player to watch in the game. He's extremely exciting. I love the charisma and the character. But
4: guy makes a lot of errors in the infield too. He does. He does. So it's give or take. So that's why I think maybe the hardcore baseball purists more on on the rider's side will be like, you know what? He's just not a good enough defensive player so they won't give it to him. And some people love the energy, which I do, but some one man's loving the energy is another man's, ah, he's a little too cocky. He shows up the opposition. So it really depends on the mentality of the rider and that's why I don't think Tatis really has any value at this standpoint.
3: All right. How about the American League MVP, Vlad Guerrero Jr., your favorite and a slight favorite at even money just ahead of Shohei Otani, who is at plus 105, and then everybody else is really deep down the board. Xander Bogarts at 35 to one, Mike Trout at 40 to one. Uh, I mean, basically, take your pick. Do you want Vlad or Shohei?
4: Well, we have had a flip of favorites. It has been Otani. It is now very small, though, to Vlad Guerrero. I, I think it was like nine percent of the money bet on AL MVP at BetMGM was Vlad Jr. He now has 26 home runs. No AL player aside from Guerrero or Otani has more. 20 home runs. Vlad also leads the AL in hits, RBI, OBP, slugging percentage, 342 batting average in this offensive environment. So, look, I think he is the justifiable favorite right now uh, over Shohei Otani, who's having a very historic season and still isn't the favorite. That shows you how well Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is playing, and now he is absolutely mashing the cover off the ball.
3: American League Cy Young, Garrett Cole at minus 175, and I'm not going there, with That was a bad outing he had over the weekend. Shane Gave Bieber,
4: a- maybe 15-1 to one is the value there. I think Lance Lynn, we are going to see some regression at some point later in the summer. Yep, I would agree with
3: you. 15-1 uh, to one on Bieber is a heck of a number, and I'm certainly not going towards Garrett Cole. We're going towards hockey next. The Stanley Cup final playoffs are underway. Tampa leads one game to none over the Montreal Canadiens, and Rob Pazzola will join us next to talk about it right here on the Lombardi Line. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the Vsin schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcast. Catch replays of all of our shows including Follow the Money, A Numbers Game, My Guys in the Desert, and the Lombardi Line with Vsin Best Bets. Download Beating the Book with Gil Alexander or Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. Plus we've got Hardwood Handicappers, Long Shots, Gone Racing, and the Ron Flatter Racing Pod. They're all for free and available now at vsincom slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And Mr. Reynolds the home team has taken the early lead in the Euro 2020 soccer match going on right now.
4: It's a sterling summer for England right now as Raheem Sterling gets the goal here. Now 1-0 into the 77th minute as the Prince, the Duchess, and Little George stand in the Royal Box. So this being played at Wembley Stadium, a big sterling silver summer so far for Raheem Sterling.
3: Very good, very good. All right, let's go from the pitch to the ice. Rob Pozzola joins us now to talk some Stanley Cup playoff hockey. He is a co-host on on the Circles Off podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Pizzola. Rob, good to have you back again. Thank you for joining us. Let's talk about game one, what we saw on Monday night. Money came in on the Canadians, dropping Tampa Bay from around a minus 210 favorite to about minus 190. What did you make of that money coming in? Was it what we saw Montreal do against Vegas, or were people, betters rather, maybe buying in on Tampa Bay, having a little bit of an exhale after that tough series with New York? What was your rationale on why we saw the money come in on the underdog?
5: Well, I'll say personally, I was surprised to see the money come in on the underdog. And uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the way that Montreal handled Vegas in that previous series, more so than the lightning going to game seven. I think people have really talked themselves into Montreal being a legitimate cup contender here. But the reality is when we are looking at that game one price, and even looking at the series price going into last night's game, it was much shorter than what we saw with Vegas and Montreal in the, in the, the conference finals but it was also much shorter than what we saw with the Leafs in Montreal in the first round of the playoffs so giving the Lightning less of a chance to win the series than the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one against Montreal I think the market has adjusted or over adjusted I would say to the Montreal Canadians here and yes it's been a good run but I think this is a major step up in class for them uh, overall and we saw that last night. it was an absolute clinic and gave one from the Lightning. Rob, to your
4: point, but two weeks ago last night, we did, of course, see Montreal lose game one in Vegas and really a bad spot their first time in front of a big crowd. Vegas Golden Knights got out ahead and really put it to bed early four to one. We saw that, of course, happen last night. Do you think that there's an overcompensation here though for game two, despite the fact that this is a step up in class, despite the fact that you rarely see an underdog be an underdog in all three of their series like Montreal was and then go on to win the cup. I think the last team to do that was New Jersey Devils in 1995, or do you just think, okay, now water has found its level. This is one-way traffic from here on out.
5: I think water has found its level, but with that said, I'd be very reluctant to lay this price with Tampa Bay in game two. We do tend to see some series effects in hockey and, and a lot of people just dismiss it as a complete narrative. Obviously in the NBA, you used to have your, you know, your zigzag theory type of thing. And then in the NHL, when you do see a team get blown out in game one, they tend to respond in game two and play closer, um, a much closer game in game two than game one. So for that reason, I'm not going to count the Canadians out. And also we don't know what that game was. It could have been the lightning playing at the very very top end of their range and Montreal playing at the very bottom end of their range and you might get something completely different in game two overall. With that said, there's a cause for concern here for Montreal when they do play the games in Tampa Bay because earlier in the playoffs, whether it was Toronto or Winnipeg or even Vegas. Uh, there was not a lot a whole lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of line matching going on with this Philip Deneau line and for anyone who's unfamiliar Philip Deneau, the number one center for the Montreal Canadiens, they've really been shutting down the number one line for the opposing team and John Cooper last night did an absolutely fantastic job of getting his star players away from that Philip Deneau line, doing a lot of line matching. And Montreal hasn't seen that a lot this postseason. So if Tampa Bay can continue to do that, get their star players away from that line, they're going to dominate at five on five. And uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely an uphill battle for Montreal here. Uh, I mean, I think you get a better effort from them in game two, but I'm just not sure it's enough.
4: And that kind of led me to my next question, Rob, because we know what Tampa Bay has done in these playoffs, as good as they are in the five on five. They've been even better on the power play, seemingly leading the NHL. And the percentage actually even went down in the Islander series. Islanders still did a good job staying out of the box, but not a good enough one. But now Tampa Bay, they went 1-3 of three last night. Even if Montreal has been really good on the PK in the playoffs, they held DGK to 0 of 17 Even if they stay out of the box, is that enough for them to even stay competitive, despite the fact now Tampa Bay is healthy? Kucherov looked very good last night with two goals.
5: I think it is. I mean, they want to play as much five on five as possible. If you look at the five on five metrics from last night, it wasn't all that lopsided towards Tampa Bay. Now, obviously, there are some score effects that come into play because the Lightning were leading for the majority of the game. And because of that, they're going to sit back a little bit later on, especially when they have a multiple goal lead. So that has to be considered as well. But the Canadians are a pretty good five on five team. It's when they do get to that power play and penalty kill. I know their penalty kill has been really great, but on the power play, You know, even if it's one of those games where both teams get three, four, five chances, which we haven't seen a whole lot later on in this postseason, that's going to favor Tampa Bay regardless, just because of all the star power that they have relative to Montreal. So they do want to play as much five on five as possible. The refs did let a lot go last night. Obviously there's the Brendan Gallagher situation at the end of the game as well with him bleeding all over the place. If they can play five on five, they can compete and they just need a little bit of goaltender variance. Vasilevsky didn't look great early on in the game last night, so maybe they can get to him, get more pucks to the net, uh, but that's going to be the key to them. They really have to stay out of the box as much as possible.
3: Rob, did you have any futures tickets in your pocket prior to the Stanley Cup final beginning? And if not, or, or would you consider for somebody out there that's looking to get involved at this point, would you get involved on Tampa Bay, who is now minus 550, the adjusted price after the win in game one the take back on the canadians four to one it's different than and west talked about how we saw montreal drop game one to vegas vegas ascended to a minus 1000 favorite after that win is it maybe a little bit light on tampa bay here the adjusted price
5: I think it is slightly light. With that said, I can completely understand why someone wouldn't want to go lay one to six on a team to uh, win the Stanley Cup, especially in a sport with this much variance. But where where you have the series price being a little bit light at minus five fifty, that means pretty much all your derivatives are also going to be light. So if someone wants to avoid paying the you know the big price on minus five fifty, I do think that there's value on the minus one and a half and even the minus two and a half, depending on where you want to go. So per- potentially you balance your portfolio, you split up your bets just so that you're not laying this huge chalk, but I think it's a little bit short. I would line this at relatively you know, close to minus 600 right now. It's not a huge edge by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, that's the way I would play it. Uh, I personally do think that the Bolts are just presenting a different challenge for Montreal in terms of their depth from up line to their bottom line.
3: Rob, real quick answer here. We've got just about 10 seconds. Does Tampa Bay win it in a sweep?
5: I'll say no. They win it in five.
3: All right. Very good. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thank we'll you, do Rob. it again next time. Thanks, guys. All right. That is Rob Pozzola. Check him out on Twitter at Rob Pozzola, P-I-Z-Z-O-L-A. We're going to come back and wrap up the program with one of our favorites, NBA player prop market right here on the Lombardi line at vSYN.com. try One Game Parlay at BetMGM. One Game Parlay. It's an exciting feature designed to help you make selections within a single game from over 400 bet types. You can make One Game Parlay bets on the Stanley Cup playoffs, baseball, and your favorite soccer leagues. Log into your BetMGM account and create the parlay of your dreams or sign up today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600 with the bonus code vsin 600 It's a new customer offer paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You must be 21 years of age or older to wager Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia or West Virginia only. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada and Virginia 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania and West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana and 800-889-9789 in Tennessee. The promotional offer is not available in Nevada. Final segment here of the Lombard party line before we pass the baton down to the folks at Circa, Mike Palm and Amal Shah for the Nuts. Coming up next, but before we get to that, Wes, let's update the soccer match, Euro 2020. Of course, the UEFA European Championship, and we've got the England team at Wembley in front of the home crowd taking on Germany. Now, Germany just missed a chance at a goal to even this up, getting the equalizer at about the 80th minute of this match,
4: and then England, they tack on another one. Yeah, Harry Kane here in the 86th Minute now adds on to nothing England, three Lions look like they are going to move on here. Still a couple minutes in regulation, and then we'll see how much stoppage time gets put on. But, uh, Brady, this seems like a uh, Hogan's Heroes situation <laughs> when Colonel clink would be uh, uh, mad at a uh, prisoner of war Hogan and Hogan's heroes, and he would go dismissed yes because <laughs> it seems like the germans are about to be dismissed they've only got a couple minutes right now but it looks like england is going to move on they were uh they were the slight favorite there was plus money really on both sides when you looked at this game i think at bet mgm i saw germany as plus 190 england plus 140 and the draw at plus 225 on the three goal line but it looks like england uh two nothing here as we approach the end of regulation and we'll see what how much the official on the sideline gives to stoppage time. But looks like England is going to man- advance to July 3rd on Rome. And they're going to play the winner of this last round of 16 matchup, which is going to start here. Noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. That is Sweden and the Ukraine in Glasgow.
3: And there it is. They have reached the 90th minute. So we'll see how much extra time. It- usually about five or six minutes is what is tacked mm-hmm. on. huh? Yeah,
4: I would think so. And by the way, another, uh, another sporting event taking place in England. 35,000. Yes here, limited crowd at Wembley Stadium, but another sporting event currently going on in England at Center Court at the All-England Racquet Club. Roger Federer about to close out set number four. He is down two sets to one to the Frenchman Adrian Monerino, but 5-2 Up a couple breaks in the uh, fourth set. Looks like he's about to close this out, and it looks like Roger Federer may be playing five sets to try to advance out of the first round at Wimbledon.
3: Yeah, that takes a toll on Roger Federer at this point in his career. I'm a little surprised they're going five sets, but it looks like that's where where we're headed with Roger Federer in that match. I would hate to see him bow out. We've seen all those tennis runs by the veterans of the game. Jimmy Connors at the U.S. Open, John McEnroe. I'd love to see Federer make a run at Wimbledon this year. All right, Wes, let's get to the nba playoff player prop market and you and i have done well on this stuff uh i I have to say i've probably done better in this than just trying to decide which
4: way i'm going to go on a game a side or a total and we would like the uh books here in the greater las vegas area to maybe offer a little bit more on the nba prop markets i don't think that that would be such a bad idea so uh hopefully this gives them a jolt to do that
3: Well, what we've got here, of course, is points, rebounds, assists, and three-pointers made, and then a number assigned with a particular player. You can go under or over that. We also have the combined today, points, rebounds, and assists, a combined number of all three of those. And we'll start on uh, on the Milwaukee side with Antetokounmpo, and his number total combined is 51 and a half points is 32 and a half, rebounds at 12 and a half, assists at five and and three-pointers made under or over just a half. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez on down the line there. Anybody on the Milwaukee side that looks attractive to you?
4: Yeah, now that we've been praising the prop market and how we've had some success on these programs doing it, this is not the best looking prop market card necessarily for this game four tonight, considering the fact that, look, we don't officially know Trey Young's status. Mm -hmm. We don't know how he's going to go we we, we assume he's going to play and he is going to start but how many minutes is he going to be able to go what percentage is he with that ankle going forward so that's what makes it a little bit tough to find value so where i would probably be looking is maybe not necessarily with the stars would lean a little bit. I don't like to play the primary scorer a lot in these props. Would lean a little bit with Giannis in terms of the combined points, rebounds, and assists to the under? Because I think that they know with the hobbled Trey Young and also with Bogdanovich not being 100%, that Milwaukee doesn't have to have Giannis to carry them to win this series, nor to even just win this game. They could have some other guys step up and you certainly, I think, could see that going forward, but... As 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 I'm looking at the props for this game, uh, probably I'm going to go a little bit down the board and I'm going to look at Milwaukee. I think you may get some contributions off the bench, Brady, where it's not necessarily just Giannis and Middleton and Holiday, the primary scorers carrying these guys. So one thing that I'm looking at, are maybe the four, fifth, six option guys. And one I'd be looking at perhaps for Milwaukee is Bobby Portis. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Bobby Portis, what he's done here in the postseason, game one of this series, 11 points and eight rebounds in just under 15 minutes. Didn't do as much in game two because it was a blowout. So pretty much everybody but the manager and the water boy played. So bounce back for 15 points and four rebounds in game three. So he's only playing about 16 minutes a game, but – but it's been putting up decent numbers here. So if I were maybe to look, I would try to look at Portis in terms of some of the uh, uh, combined, the uh, points, rebounds and assists, I believe is 13 and is what I am seeing here at BetMGM. So that would be one. I would look to the over here. I think Giannis with a weakened Atlanta team can maybe be a little bit more of a distributor, get some people involved. So, That's where I would be looking on the prop, but I want to uh, interrupt this for one moment because we do want to update what we just talked about with Wimbledon. Adrian Montarino had to retire with an injury after the fourth wow. set. This was going to go to the fifth set, all tied at 2-2 two two between Roger Federer and Montereno. Montarino has to withdraw, so this is a walkover. Roger Federer won't have to play the fifth set. He does advance on in the draw.
3: Very interesting, and that's key, saving him that energy of having to play a fifth and decisive set there, and bad news for Montarino.
4: He slipped on the grass, I think, and hurt his knee in that fourth set, so Montarino not able to continue. Also, not continuing are the Germans as they are out of Euro 2020. The English have dismissed them two to nothing, so England will be on to the quarterfinals, and that is a final two nothing in favor of England in front of the home crowd there at
3: Wembley Stadium. As far as the NBA prop market, uh, I hit this one on Sunday, and I think I'm going to go back after it again, Wes. And that is Chris Middleton. Over on his assists. And they have not really adjusted the number. It's at five and a half. That's where it was on Sunday. In game one, he had eight assists and or excuse me, game one he had four assists. Game two he had eight assists. And I believe it was eight or nine that he had in game three. So this number is still sitting at five and a half, which is a little bit below his average. And, and you make this point a lot. Don't necessarily go to the stars and their total points, which mm-hmm. is probably the toughest market to crack. And I don't really have have an angle on, you know, is Middleton going to fade a little bit off of that huge performance in game three? I don't know if I want to go that direction, but I think this guy can definitely dish out half a dozen assists again.
4: Yeah, I could, I could certainly see that because look, the scoring was so up for him. Even though he's a very consistent scorer, you got to think it's going to go down a little bit because I think that the other options, the third and fourth options, like I mentioned with Portis, you could also maybe include Pat Connaughton Mm -hmm. in that you could also include Drew Holiday In that sure. And uh, where I'm looking at for drew holiday, I think with Trey young, certainly going to play, but not a hundred percent, even if he does play, you got to think that he's going to be slower, less of an ability to juke. So that really allows holiday to play some more physical defense on him. And holiday is a very good perimeter defender, despite the fact that Trey young had that big game one where he had 48 points. So to your point, you're going to see maybe the primary options perhaps become more distributors mm-hmm. and uh, and have a little bit more balanced scoring on Milwaukee side where it's not just Giannis and Middleton, where you get Portis contributing, where you get Connaughton contributing. Tucker probably not going to give you much offensively because they, they have him out there basically be, be a defender and kind of a secondary rebounder. So looking at that, I would be looking also at Drew Holiday, maybe some of his props, and perhaps you could look at it with steals I think, and I know that that's not on the graphic, but steals, three-pointers, maybe some of those smaller props, uh, they're three-pointers, I believe, one and a half, I think steals.
3: Yeah, I like the three-pointers. I think yeah. one and a half. This guy can certainly chuck up And two I also
4: think steals are at one and a half, because you got to think that with Trey Young being a step slower and Drew Holiday going to get the assignment primarily on him, not exclusively, that... He's not going to be as quick to fly by Drew Holiday like he was in Game One, so I think that opens the Steals uh, in terms of forcing turnovers for Drew Holiday. If you like that prop, over.
3: Okay, so you mentioned Trey Young. His status is questionable. Uh, we do believe he's going to play. He says he's doing fine, and but we also I think believe you know l- let's let's take that with a grain of salt. I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent, and the market has adjusted on his number for points at twenty eight and a half. He's usually been trading more like thirty and half 31 yeah. and a half so they've knocked it down a couple of points I'm not sure which way to I go still there.
4: would not get involved at this yeah. standpoint you just don't know you don't want to play a guessing game with these things because look these are already taxed and the guys that are setting these prop numbers, they know what they're doing and they know how to adjust these and they know what the betting market is going to do in terms of all of these because what's going to draw the attention is the star players. I would try to avoid Trey Young props altogether tonight.
3: Yeah, I I think it's very unpredictable. Is he going to have the the Willis Reed moment where he hobbles onto the court and he scores 35 points or is he going to be
4: or is he going to look like James Harden in game five of that Eastern (laughs) Conference semifinals series where it's like he's back but he's not really back
3: yeah exactly which is very possible Trey young at 28 and a half points don't know if you want to go under or over that number we're going to stay away as far as that bet in the nba playoff prop market next up it is the nuts amal Shaw and mike palm from the circa resort and casino in fabulous downtown las vegas thanks for tuning into the lombardi line everybody have a great day right here with us at vson the sports betting network